from it. And we'll see how they, they sort of unpick in a bit. You've got words perfect, therefore, and heaven that I've highlighted. Now, there's a superb sculpture. I don't know if you've seen this. Incredibly lifelike sculpture. It's in Litchfield Cathedral. Anybody seen that? Okay, a number of you have. It's got a tremendous message. I believe that uh, the, um, the, the minister died and then two of his children died and this was done in memory of the two children who died and you can even see the snowdrops in the smaller child's hand. It's so brilliantly done. You can see the pattern in the pillow in the, under, under the, the head. Absolutely fantastic. Superb. The elder girl died when her knighty caught fire. She was called Ellen Jane, and the younger one was called Marianne, and their surname was Robinson. And it was done by Sir Francis Chantry, and it really is a superb piece of sculpture. But deliberately, it was left unfinished, because underneath one of the toes, hidden away, there's a little block of stone which wasn't carved. He didn't finish doing it because he knew that he's not perfect. It was a brilliant sculpture, but he just knew that he was not perfect. That's why he left it, because only God is perfect. The Bible tells in Isaiah that all we, like sheep, have gone astray. So that's perfect. What about the word therefore? Why is it there? It's always there for a reason. Again, I've puzzled over this. It seems sort of rather, doesn't seem to fit in a way at the end of this chapter. Uh, it looks out of place. So think about the context again. The context is the Sermon on the Mount. And that's, I think, the best sermon, or even a series of sermons. It may not have been done all in one go. Best sermon ever preached by the best ever preacher. It really is worth studying. It takes up three chapters in, uh, in Matthew's Gospel. We spent four talks now, this is the fourth one, I think, on the same um, chapter five. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of the great preachers of last century, took 60 sermons to preach through that. It's a fantastic book. Get hold of it and read it and read those sermons. They really unpack the whole of this Sermon on the Mount. You remember it started with the nine Beatitudes, the nine beautiful attitudes which come at the start, and they're all about our character. They all start with the word blessed. Blessed are those, and so on, meek, and so on. And there's various rewards that come at the end if you read them through. Now those uh, are all characteristics which we as Christians should seek after. And I don't think we should just seek after one of them and say, oh yes, I'll do that one. But I think the message is we should seek after them all because they're the only things that lead to the only true lasting happiness. But the rest of the chapter from then on is about our behaviour as disciples of Jesus. Now in his teaching, Jesus makes a very clear distinction between good and evil, between the righteous and the unrighteous, between the broad way and the narrow way, between the wise person and the foolish person, between the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of heaven, and even between 
heaven and hell. And hell is mentioned three times in chapter 5. But we can counterbalance that because uh, heaven is mentioned many more times. That's one of the questions they're looking to see, how many times it actually comes in the chapter. So I won't tell you the answer, they've got to find it out. It comes a lot in chapter 5, heaven. That's our third word. So those three words, I think, are very important. But you know, if we're followers of Jesus Christ, we can rejoice and be glad, knowing that great is our reward in heaven. What great hope we have as Christians. When our character is right with God, our behaviour will follow. Now last Sunday, Nigel had the tough task of unpicking verses 21 to 37. He had to cover four topics. I think it was murder, adultery, divorce and oaths. Pretty tough going. Every case, Jesus says, you have heard that it was said. This was said by the scribes and the Pharisees, the teachers of the law. You have heard that it was said. But I tell you, that's how Jesus came. He spoke with authority. That's what you've heard in the past. But I tell you, I'm going to raise the ante. It's going to be more beyond what's going on already. So that's what you've heard in the past. But I tell you. So this, this morning, if you notice, the two sections are headed an eye for an eye and love for enemies. Well, if we think about an eye for an eye, the way you can read it, an eye for an eye and the whole world would be blind. I think if we all followed that out, that's through, right through to, that's what we'd be like. And what about the other one? Didn't really the proper illustration, but I thought it was a good one. <laughs> Obviously, he's got his tooth almost hanging out and he's going to be replaced by another one. That's not really what it means, but it's a good little illustration. A tooth for a tooth, an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. And what about this one? Do not think that I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. Look at the numbering on those. Those are books of law in, uh, I think it's New, New York or something. And uh, look at them. New York Supplement. 143 up to about 160 just in that list. That's what the law has become. Starts off perhaps just with the Ten Commandments, but people have added to it. The laws of this land, the laws of every country, the laws that we live by, there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of things. And it's so difficult not to break the law. I keep getting told off because I don't put my seatbelt on when I start off the car. I'm halfway up the road before I get on. I'm breaking the law. We're all breaking the law in one way or another. I even go over 30 miles an hour. I know it's terrible, isn't it? I think last time I spoke about that, I've never had a, a ticket ever for, for speeding or, I can't believe why not, but an, or for, for parking. Following week, I got one in Walsall <laughs> because they'd put a new restriction on the road and it just tells me, you know, it can't be perfect. We're going to break the law. That's what happens. So the teaching of the law and the prophets was followed slavishly by the scribes and the Pharisees. Jesus says, even that is not enough. That spent their lifetime doing that, trying to do, keep all these rules and regulations. It's not enough. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. If that's the standard we're living by, if that is what we're judging ourselves by, that's what we've got to do. We've got to be perfect and we can't do it. Now, at the end of a sermon uh, a few weeks ago, I think it was David was, was preaching, and uh, I was asked, um, Grandpa, 
In a talk at AYF, we were told in God's eyes, a murderer is no worse than someone who tells white lies. Is that true? Well, I was sort of, how do I answer that, you know? And I tried to give an answer. Is a murderer really worse than somebody who tells white lies? And I thought this was the answer went a bit like this. God is perfect. God's standard is perfection. We're all sinners and fall short of God's standard. There's a verse in Isaiah which says, all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. They don't count our righteous acts. And I also said, I said, I think in some ways, you know, the murderer might be closer to salvation than the people who think they're good, who just live a code of good life, of good, doing good deeds. And they think that good deeds can get us into heaven. The murderer may realise that they've done something terribly wrong. They may realise that they need to have forgiveness for their sins. That is the point. So often that's so hard. People think we live lovely, respectable lives. We live in a nice place here in Aldridge. Everything's nice and we'll, we'll, become, we'll be good to everybody. We'll do all the right things. I don't think that's enough. However good a life we live, unless we realise our sin and accept Jesus as our saviour, we cannot enter into heaven. Now, I didn't say all that to my granddaughter, but I said a lot of it, a bit of it anyhow, and I really hope it, uh, it helped her, because she's really asking some searching questions. I know she's a Christian, I know, but she wants to go on. But she's asking some searching questions, and we have to get our heads around these things. They are tough, tough questions. Well, I've done, I've done well. I've lent Dave my three coats. I brought bread for those who ask at the end of the service. If you want a little, a little a roll of bread, then just ask. I may have even gone the extra mile, turned the other cheek, done all those things, but Jesus says, that's still not enough. Because our text says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And I believe that these verses contain, verses 43 to 45, contain perhaps the toughest challenge of the lot. It says, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You know, that really complements our verse of the year, which you all know off by heart now, don't you? It basically says we've got to love God with everything we have. That's the verse, that's the first and greatest commandment. But it goes on, then love our neighbours. And now, neighbours includes your enemies. Love your enemies. Certainly fail at that one. I do. I think we all do. May try hard with all the others. We may try and live a good life. We may think we're doing all that. Now, I believe there's a big difference between liking and loving. You know, some people, I think by nature, are very easy to like. Some people are very hard to like, aren't they? We can all see that, and the people we have to rub shoulders with day by day. But it's not to do with our personality. But, you know, we're not commanded. It doesn't say, like everyone, like your enemy. 
We're not commanded to like everyone. It doesn't say that. But we are commanded to love everyone, our neighbour and our enemy. We should pray for the person who we don't like, even for those who persecute us. And I believe that's more like agape, Christian love. This is what we're talking about. It's much more than feeling or sentiment. It's not like a, a grade of sort of we start with liking somebody like a little bit more and a bit more and more until eventually we love them. This is something totally different. It's people that we can pray for even if we don't like them. And think about the lovely example, the wonderful example of Stephen, a man full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. He was being stoned to death by cruel, wicked enemies. And he prayed, Lord, don't hold them guilty for this sin. Talk about praying for and loving your enemies. Stephen shows love just as our Father in heaven loves this sinful world. And I believe Jesus is the supreme example. He talked the talk and walked the walk all the way to the cross. What he was asking us to do, he did himself. He lived a perfect life. He was perfect. He is perfect. Never sinned. Never did anything wrong. And remember the wonderful words when Jesus was dying on the cross. He prayed, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they are doing. And you know, the whole of that then, so perfect therefore heaven, impossible without Jesus. He is the only way. And this morning, think about who our enemies are today. You may have particular people who really are your enemies, I don't know in your life, but think who's persecuting you. There's been some awful things in our news this week. Terror attacks in, again in Pakistan and Iraq. You think of all the people who are caught up in that. But it doesn't just say for those. He says pray for the enemies. So we pray for the jihadis. We pray for the people caught up in ISIS. The leaders there. They are the enemies in our world. How often do we pray for them? Pray that their eyes may be open to the love of God. Somehow, despite the desperate things that are going on in the world, we are commanded to pray for them. Let's do it. That God's love will reach out to them. Now, in conclusion, last Sunday is a bit long conclusion, but it was a couple of minutes more. Sorry, is that all right, Dave? <laughs> okay. Uh, we had some one, lo lovely prophecies, I think, about what this church might, came from the day of prayer, about what this church might be like in, in five years' time. Or I think there's lots more to come, uh, which John will, uh, will let us see sometime. But um, the other day, if I can find it, we were looking through, um, on Tuesday, we were looking through some of the old church magazines. And uh, I don't know whether you've seen these, and uh, we've got a whole supply of them. They go back to about 1935. I'm not sure we've got a complete set, but they really are amazing when you look at them. And uh, so I went through it, and we skimmed through it, one or two of us. They, they actually managed to find when they were, this couple came in, they'd been to a funeral on the Monday, and they came back on the Tuesday and couldn't believe the church was open Five to ten, and we said, come in, have a drink with us, four of them. And uh, they were thrilled because we found the magazine which spoke, which, where they got the entry for their, for their marriage back in 1953, I think it was, all right? And they found that entry. They took a picture, and they were, really were um, so pleased. And when I looked through this one, I found one at the end which says here, um, 
wasn't they? So we haven't quite that long ago, but this is 1955, uh, not 1964. It actually said, um, Owen Bertram Hawes, on the, this is the 30th of July, Owen Bertram Hawes and Jean Platt, Plant. Now, some of you may know Jean Hawes is probably one of our eldest members of our congregation. So she got married in this church 62 years ago. It'd be lovely. She's ill at the moment, I believe, and uh, I think both of them, quite elderly people, still live in Aldridge and still come to this church occasionally. Wouldn't it be lovely? We could show them that sort of entry that they've got there in the magazine. But the other thing I looked at, I couldn't help seeing, I wrote the letter, and the, the rector at the time, was Rector Cartmel, wrote in the magazine. So, this is what he wrote. And I'm not going to read all of it, because it's quite a long thing. It was a sermon in itself, which was uh, typical of him. But this is what he said. What will you hear if you come to our church? First, you will hear the authority of the Bible upheld. In these days when so many ignore the Bible, people's hearts are hungry for certainty. The old book meets the deepest needs of the human heart. Thus says the Lord, rings loud and clear from its pages. But I tell you, is what Jesus said. Then he tells this story. A man once stole from his minister. In court, the minister asked the thief, what made you steal from me? He replied, you did. You stole my faith. You told me that everyone finally went to heaven, whatever they did. You said, there's no hell, so why should I be afraid to steal from you? The letter then goes on. Second thing you'll hear in this church, you will hear everything related to Jesus Christ. Sorry, she's put taking the one off now. I've all got that one up. Sorry. Okay, everything related to Jesus Christ. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among people whereby we must be saved. Simple faith in what Jesus did by his life and death for sinners gives eternal life to all who accept him. So what a wonderful message for us this week when we see so much uncertainty, so much fake news and so much lack of hope in our world. People are even more hungry for certainty today than they were 60 years ago. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That is pretty certain. That is pretty definite. Now, if you want to know more what that means, if you're not sure yourself, then we have these little books that uh, we use for the Alpha, I believe, uh, Rob, the Why Jesus books. I've put some in the prayer room. It may be that you really feel the Lord spoke to you this morning. You want to know a little bit more, go through, ask uh, the prayer people to pray with you and ask if you can have one of those little books. Or I'll be at the back there, ask. It says in the Bible, ask and you can receive. Ask, ask the Lord Jesus to be your saviour. The letter finishes, we're not a perfect family of Christians and we never will be in this life, but we do try to share with all the joy, salvation and hope to be found only 
in Jesus. What a fantastic message from six years ago. Only in Jesus, because Jesus practiced what he preached, he lived a perfect life, died on the cross to take away the sins of the world, and now reigns with his Father in heaven. Only when we turn to Jesus in repentance and ask for forgiveness can we be perfect in God's eyes. Our final song has this lovely line, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless, stand before the throne. Let's sing it together. Amen.